0: Good morning, everybody. Thank you for joining us. It is great to have you here. I trust you're having a great summer. And uh, this weekend is such as well as it's a beautiful day outside as we continue in Voyagers. Ready, willing, and able. What have we been talking about? We've been talking about leaps of faith. Are we ready, willing, able? And uh, we've been talking about this rule of three, right? Good, fast, or cheap. Well, are we ready, willing, But able, are we able and willing, but maybe not ready? Lord, what are you calling us to do? What leap of faith do you have for us? And in order to have a leap of faith, in order to make a leap of faith, we've got to have the aspects of faith we see throughout Scripture. And that's what we've been trying to do. Each week we've been trying to bring a different aspect of faith that we learn from a character within the Scripture on how to exercise our faith. It's almost we're categorizing it a little bit. Has ever faith seemed a little bit abstract to you? Well, you know, I'm a person of faith, and it seemed a little abstract. Well, one of our goals in this series is to make faith a little less abstract and put it into scenarios with memorable language we get our hands around so that we can think through it when we go through these aspects of life. And so there's times in our life where we don't know what the Lord's will is, but we want to move forward in faith that he will provide, and we've called that maybe faith. Maybe faith is the time in our life where, where we say, what will we gain if we move forward in trust when fear, and it's always a fight between fear and faith, right? Fear is saying, what can we lose? Faith is saying, what could we gain? And then we walked right into the fiery furnace, right? With Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we called it furnace faith. Oh, in fear, it says, I'll go, I'll jump, I'll jump, Lord, but only if I need this answered, this answered, this answered. Where that furnace faith says, I'm going to do what God wants me to do, even if it means things don't go that well. Furnace faith. And then we moved forward in faith, and we found ourselves in a faith that sees God, how mighty he is. Nehemiah, on the wall, have you gone through times in your life where you've been struggling to persevere and you want to quit, and people are mocking you or calling you out or challenging you or criticizing you? Nehemiah stood there and said, I'm not coming off the wall. Fear rescinds and says, I best stop trying. Faith resolves, I'm not going to quit on this. And then last week, we studied Joseph's faith. How many of us just love the character Joseph in Scripture? We talked about the blamelessness of Joseph. And when Potiphar's wife came to him and said, sleep with me, he fled, leaving the cloak, which she then used to frame him, right? And he ended up in prison for years. Blameless faith. See, fear thinks no one will see this. Faith thinks God will see this. A blameless faith is far more concerned not with what people see, but with what God sees. And so today, altar faith, altar faith. Now, now, what do you think of when I say the word altar? Now, if you've been in church for years, you probably go back to times in your life where you think through the Old Testament and the altars and placing sacrifices on it. If you recall, in the Old Testament, the Lord demanded dead sacrifices, right? To offer forgiveness to the people. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. And so a dead sacrifice would have to be done, and they would pick a blameless or spotless lamb that would have to be sacrificed as a substitute for everybody else. The high priest would do this, and there was a whole whole aspect of rituals behind those sacrifices. And so when you think of altars, you often think of those dead sacrifices. Now, New Testament believers, you know, you know Paul told us we are called to be living sacrifices that we are called to give of ourselves and offer up to him our lives, our our finances, our possessions, whatever it takes, God is calling us to be living sacrifices at all times for him. And we see throughout scripture when it comes to altar faith that it's a faith that sometimes gets tested. And that's why I want to bring up our character today. How many of you know the name Abraham? Abraham. Well, throughout this series, we've been kind of doing a fast forward through their lives, right? And Abraham was one of the most blessed men that has ever walked the face of the earth. God came to Abraham. Does anybody remember how old he was? Abraham was 75. How many of you got Abraham being young when the promises were given him? He was 75 years old. If you're not 75 yet, you might be 72, and you're about to maybe get the biggest call of your life. See, God's not done with us when we get to a certain age. See, we live in in the century now where it says, okay, get everything done, store it up so that you can live a certain way as you kind of just sail off into the night. Where God's like, 75, let's get to work. 75 years old, Abraham, go outside, take a look at the stars. I'm gonna give you descendants as much as the stars of the sky. I can't count those. Of course you can. I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to, I'm going to use this. And, and, and Abraham's belief was credited to him as righteousness. And Abraham believed God. Oh, I'm going to have a descendant at the time he didn't have a child. And God said, I'm going to give you a son, and he is going to have an offspring that's the size of the, the, the stars. That's great. Now, how many of you, when you read a promise of God, go, Oh, that's great. Tomorrow? Not tomorrow. Okay, the next day. Not the next day. Okay, okay, okay. Three days, three days. Oh, God died. He rose again on the third. Three days, right, God? We wait three days. Not three. This month? No. Not this month. Okay, this year? No. Not this year. Abraham, I'm going to give you a son. Uh, Not this year. Next year? No. Okay, the third year, no. Fourth, no. Fifth, no. How many of us, we can't even stand in line at Chipotle? (laughs) Five years in, no son, folks. God, you promised. Six, seven, who's having trouble waiting for something right now in their life? Who's had some questions with God in their prayer life? God, where are you at? Seven years? Anybody go seven, eight, nope, nine, ten? His wife comes to him and says, Abraham, I can't deliver you a child, and it's so wrong for me to be barren. You can't have descendants, and God promised you a descendant. Okay, here's what you need to do I need you to go sleep with my servant Hagar and have a baby with her. I mean, come on, we've got to do this. And Abraham's like, okay. And she has a son, his name is Ishmael. And there's a whole side to Hagar's story. But even after Abraham jumps in and follows his wife's leading, they're trying to figure this out. I mean, God, you promised a son. It's been some 10 years. God, I mean, at some point, we got to stop trusting you and do what we need to do. Who's been waiting recently? God comes to Abraham. He says, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to give you a descendants. Count the number of the stars, right? Comes again, comes to him a second time. And this time he establishes a covenant with him. And and God takes him through this whole illustration of of walking through the covenant, even if Abraham can't keep it. It's as if Abraham says, God, I'll promise. Have you ever promised God something? God, if you give me that, I promise, I promise I'll do it. And then the next day, you you don't do it. You ever make a promise to God you can't keep? You're not perfect. And so God says, I keep promises. I'm a covenant God. I keep my promises, whether you can or not. And he stuck with Abraham, even though Abraham went off and did that. He said, I'm going to give you a son. I'm I'm still going to give you a son. Sarah, in her old age, she's going to bear a child. I'm going to give you a son. Are you glad for a forgiving God? Church, are you glad for a forgiving God? So he reiterates this promise. Some ten years after the first promise, he reiterates it. Abraham, okay, okay, this year, no. Okay, then you, know, you reiterate the promise. Isaac going to be born this year? No. Nope. Well, the third year then? No. Fourth? Abraham waited twenty-five years for Isaac. Twenty-five years. God, she's still not pregnant. God, God, this sense we're getting old here. 25 years and Sarah had Isaac and he was awesome and Abraham loved him so much and God came to him again oh God what here am I he said I want you to take Isaac and I want you to take him up to the mountainside I want you to kill him wait, 25 years? For I, he's the promise. He's the promise. You delivered on your promise. I waited on you, you delivered on your promise, right? I'm thinking, this is how I'm thinking, because this is not how Abraham reacted. If, if, if God said, Chris, I want you to take your son's life, um, which he doesn't, he's not calling for dead sacrifices, and what's living sacrifices. Jesus came and changed everything. He said, hey, hey, I'll I'll be the dead sacrifice, but I'll rise again the third day and defeat death. Changed everything. We don't need those anymore. He calls me every day to be a sacrifice for him. But if I was called to give over one of my children to God, don't you think he'd go, well, you waited 25 years. How about I wait for 25 years to sacrifice Isaac? How about I get another weekend with him? How, how How about one more fishing trip? And you know what scripture says? This is crazy. I look at the faith of Abraham and I'm astonished. It says this. After these things, God tested Abraham. And he said to him, Abraham, here am I. Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. God knows what we love. God knows what we love more than him. He already knows. You don't have to give him a heads up. In fact, one of the easiest indicators of what you love, sometimes even more than God, is your bank account. You say, what? What? Yeah, scripture says, where your heart is, your treasure follows. So wherever your heart is, your treasure will follow it. I already know who your favorite kid is. How? Whichever one you spend the most money on. No, no, I'm not saying that. (laughs) But the idea is where our money is we so where off in our treasury, where our heart is. God knows those things that we love more than him. And, and he says, take your son Isaac and offer him as a burnt offering on the one of the mountains which I tell you. On one of the mountains. He doesn't even tell them which mountain. Go. So Abraham, so Abraham, you ready? You ready? Rose early in the morning. No delay. He rose early in the morning and he saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac, and he cut the wood for the burnt offering. You're really going to do this. And he arose and he went to the place which God had told him. And on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar, the place that he would exercise altar faith. Then Abraham said to his young man, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over and we'll worship and we'll come back And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering, and he laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took his hand, the fire, and the knife. And so they went, both of them together. And Isaac said to his dad, Dad, father, yes, son. Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb of the burnt offering, my son. Did you hear that? Keep walking. God's going to provide. Dad, shouldn't we have a lamb or a goat or something? Keep walking. God's going to provide. Who came here just for that? Keep walking. God is going to provide. That's crazy faith. That's altar faith. And they walk up the hillside, and Scripture tells me that Abraham grabs a tie. He says, come here, Isaac. Wait, Dad? Dad? Your feet. Dad? Many scholars believe Isaac could have been between the ages of like 8 and 13 here. And he takes his boy, who he loves, and he puts him on the altar, tied up. He goes for the dagger, and as he goes, To Isaac, the angel of the Lord goes, stop. Stop. I get excited about stuff like this. In the Old Testament, sometimes the angel of the Lord would actually be what's called a theophany or a precursor to Jesus before he came to earth as a man. Is it possible that Jesus said, whoa! Stop. I've got another substitute. i got someone who's going to die in the place of Isaac. Why? Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram, and he caught in the thicket of the thorns. God did provide, and Abraham... He went and he took the ram and he offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. And so Abraham called the name of that place. Do you remember what he called it? The Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Altar faith. The faith that waits on God with anticipation that he will provide. The faith that says, even though I'm not getting the timing I want, even though I'm not doing the plan that I would want, I'm willing to surrender my plan. I'm willing to surrender your blessings in my life. I'm willing to surrender these things to you. Because when I hold on to them, I'm a life of anxiety and nervousness and frustration because I'm trying to play God. But when I go, God, My wife is so sick and I've tried everything. All I can do is this. But I gave her. I'm willing to do hard things. God, I'm willing to do hard things for you. And it's been a year, two years, three years, four years. Altar faith is the faith that can endure waiting after it is offered. Today, I'm not talking to the faith of a person who is recklessly jumping ahead of God. I'm talking about that faith that goes, I am trusting God. I have given it to God, but he's not showing up. I think we need this message today. Because judging from social media, we live in a frustrated society. Just throwing that out there. And our patience is being tested with people, with authority, with answers, with the future, with our plans. And it's as if God's going, hey, child of God, are you willing to surrender that? Or are you going to hold on? And so what is God asking you to do with alter faith? The faith that even offers itself up as a living sacrifice that is the context we'll take as we walk into the book of acts and we navigate the apostle paul being asked to voyage already willing and able he's headed to rome he's following god but voyagers need alter faith and that is our sermon today voyagers alter faith the faith that can endure while waiting heavenly father use use this series on faith to inspire us to serve a mighty, awesome God. Because when you're not an awesome God, people become very big and scary. But when you're great and mighty, people seem very small. And so, Lord, we need faith in the area of waiting for, Lord, many of us, many of us, including the preacher struggle with patience and we want to grab back control we want to pull things off the altar we had given to you because we want you to deliver faster than you are but there's a reason we wait and today may we see that reason and may it give us strength to endure whatever we're called to wait for in your name we pray amen well where do we find paul in our current series we find him in prison He had just gone before Felix. Remember Felix? Oh, he was a a piece of work, right? A very cruel man, but also a man who, who used Paul as a political pawn and left him in prison after his succession to the next leader. And so scripture tells us Paul was in prison there two years. Sometimes when we read the book of Acts and we don't hear the chronology of it, We go, it's this chapter and then this chapter and this chapter. Paul's been sitting there for two years. I mean, I could get a lot of stuff done in two years. How about you? I can get a lot done in two years, but I don't know if I could do it in prison. But you should be very thankful for this prison. For this prison was a prison of purpose. For many scholars believe it was in this prison during this time period where Paul wrote the book of Philippians. Have you ever been encouraged by it? Well, then you should be grateful for this imprisonment. Have you ever been blessed by the book of Ephesians? Many, many scholars believe it was during this imprisonment, waiting from Felix to Festus, that he wrote Ephesians. How about Colossians? Even Philemon. It was a prison, but God was using that prison for a purpose. I mean, if I'm God, which we are all glad I'm not, I'm thinking I want Paul out there preaching to everyone. Paul, go to this city. Go to this city. God, every once in a while, stops his kids. Stop. And their impact even increases where would the New Testament church be, without the epistles written by Paul. So Festus comes in. Festus was a little bit wiser of a leader, more of a moderate leader, and he had a goal, and you're going to see this throughout the text, to kind of make the Jews happy. Now remember, the high priests, the Sadducees, and the Pharisees, they want Paul dead. They've accused him of various things, And now, Paul has a new person to stand in front of, and it's Festus. And desiring to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul in prison. Now, three days after Festus had arrived in the province, he went up to Jerusalem from Caesarea. And the chief priests and the principal men of the Jews laid out their case against Paul. Everywhere we go through the book of Acts, we see Paul under accusation. And they wanted a favor from Festus. And look what scripture says. They they urged him, asking a favor from Paul, against Paul, excuse me, that he summon him to Jerusalem because they were planning an ambush to kill him on the way. Festus replied that Paul was being kept at Caesarea and that he himself intended to go there shortly. You see, Paul, if you can see our map, is up in Caesarea at Herod's Praetorium. He's imprisoned there, has some freedom, but this is where he's imprisoned. Festus is down here in Jerusalem with the high priests and leaders, and they're asking him, would you call for Paul to come to us in Jerusalem? And on the way, they plan to kill him. Two years have elapsed since last week's message, and they have not lost their vigor at all. So Festus said, well, let the men of authority among you go down with me. And if there's anything wrong about the man, let him bring charges against him. And after that, he stayed among them, not more than eight days. And then he went down to Caesarea. Now, if you're newer to our series, you raise your hand and go, Chris, it seemed like Caesarea was north of Jerusalem. But see, they didn't operate with Google Maps. Okay? So they went off geography. So Jerusalem was raised up on a mount, right? So every time they went to another city, they went down we're going down. They went down, even though it's north. So don't get confused by that if you haven't been following with us. So they're all headed to Caesarea, where Paul is in prison. And the next day, Festus comes in and he takes his seat on the tribunal. Oh, 21st century Christian. If you've been in church for a while, you know what a tribunal is. It's called a bema seat. If that's not familiar, a bema seat can also be called what? A judgment seat. In Corinthians, Paul told the church of Corinth, we live in such a way because we all know that one day we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. The Bema seat. Here Paul is, probably gaining a lot of inspiration for why he penned it that way, standing before Festus who is seated on a judgment seat and Paul standing before him. I wrote my notes. Ready, willing, and able. A Voyager needs to be ready to be tested. When you take a leap of faith in God, when you take a leap of faith for God, God, I'm going, maybe faith, furnace faith, even if I die, I'm doing this. Awesome faith. God, everybody's mocking me, but I believe this is the right decision, so I'm leaping in awesome faith. Catch me, God. Blameless faith. God, I know I might pay for choosing integrity here. I might even lose my job for choosing integrity, but I'm, I want to be blameless. I want to be like Joseph. I'm jumping, God. And now, alter faith. Alter faith is, if it demands a test to prove my love, I'm going to be ready for it. See, see now during trials... The enemy wants to tempt us and steer us away from the things of God. He says things like, God can't be trusted. God can't be depended on. A test from God comes from a loving God. He loves you. Scripture is full of encouragement. God is such an encur- Do you know encouraging person. God is far more encouraging than them. Throughout Scripture, he's encouraging his kids all the time. I'm with you. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I love you. I'm there for you. We see it throughout Scripture. And and we're not being tested by this mean, angry God. See, that's what the devil wants. God tests his kids because that's mean and cruel. That's cruel what he did and made Abraham take Isaac up there. But we see that God was doing something. And when, when Abraham was stopped by the angel of the Lord, now I know you fear me which is a healthy fear, more than anything else. And God says, now I can entrust you with this inheritance. See, God's kids know when they go through testing, it's not because necessarily they've done something wrong. It's because God has something bigger for them. And anybody knows anything. You know this, you don't entrust people with things unless you've tested them. You check out the babysitter before you give them all your kids. You drive a car, hopefully once, before purchasing. We test things out. Why? To see if I can entrust into this. That's what God does with His kids. He tests them so He can entrust. Too much is given, much is expected. If you're not faithful with a little, how can I be? You would be faithful with much. I'm a steward of what I have, and that's why God is always asking me to hand stuff over in my life, because, Chris, it's not yours, but it feels like mine. They even carry my last name. Hand them over. Trust me. I will, but will you deliver right away? Sometimes not right away. But he's a good God. Have you ever gotten a test out of nowhere? College students, high school students, we still got another month, right? Right? A couple weeks at least for some of you. Got a test out of nowhere, came out of nowhere. Well, there's a story about a, a gigantic lecture hall at the Ohio State University, all right? And these lecture halls were sometimes a thousand students big, okay? We average about 500 per service here at church, five to 600. So, so maybe that's in here right now, all right? But, but these lecture halls, a thousand people, so double this room, okay? And all the students are told, you have a test underneath your desk, grab that, or it was laying on it, grab it, pull it out. I want you to start taking this test. And this, and this professor was a piece of work. College students, do you have a professor who loves himself more than the world? Okay, All right, like they just love to hear themselves talk. They love to hear themselves share their opinions. They, this guy was like that, okay? And so the story says he was kind of always like, well, here's your test, and if you would have been studying, you would know to be ready, for I am a test taker, and I will test you at any moment, and he's going on. The students are like, oh my work, I gotta do well, and this one student said, I had to do well. I can't just do bad, and I'm taking this test, and he says, you have. to the end of class, 40 minutes, begin. And he said, this guy, this guy is pacing in front of the room. 30 minutes. I hope you're getting the right answers. How many of you would take tests well this way? Pacing back and forth. 20 minutes, 20 minutes till you will have to hand in your paper. I hope you're not struggling through. And he is just being all the things that you want to do something to. bring your papers forward. Students, this was before Blackboard and stuff like that, where you just emailed your stuff in or uh, put it on the, on the board platform, whatever. And so all these students start bringing their papers up and laying them on the teacher's decks. He loved when they laid the papers on the desk and he would sit there at his table and just watch them lay them in or watch their fear in their face. Hope you did well. <laughs> <laughs> Who are you here for, man? I want you to picture a 1,000 papers laying on the desk, all ruffled up together. Well, that student, he saw they were all going forward. He's like, I I, I, got to stay focused. I need to do well on this test. He's still watching. Okay, some people are still, okay, I'm like the last one, but I can get this done. And he's finished. He's trying to be so, so responsible. He's really trying to get this done. And finally he finishes, and he looks up, and everyone's gone now, and it's just his professor at the front of the room. The grace-filled man he is. He looks up and he grabs his piece of paper, his test. He comes up to the front of the desk, walks down the lecture hall, and he goes to hand it in. The pre- what are you doing? Just hand him, it in. Just needed to finish up a couple things. Don't even hand it in. What? Don't even hand it in. You failed, son. I told you you had that much time. I said, everybody come up here. Now I'm sitting in this room by myself, and you have the nerve to walk up here and hand your paper in late. Don't even hand it in. You failed. Get out of my class. Student said, do you know who I am? Excuse me? Do you know who I am? I can't even believe you'd say something like that. And the student realized he didn't know who he was. And so he took his paper, lifted it up high, slammed it in and ran out of the room. <laughs> he don't know who I am. That's a thousand papers. <laughs> Good luck. See, you thought he was going to be like the president's son or something, didn't you? <laughs> you see, when you don't know the one given the test. You make all sorts of judgments on him, right? But when you know the test taker loves you and he's doing this for your good, you take tests differently. So voyagers don't take tests from a mean and angry, cruel God. They take tests from a God that they know will deliver. Who needs that today? Is your faith being challenged to quit? when they arrived, when they arrived, they get there. Okay. The, the, these these high priests are a piece of work. So they're like, let's go. Festus, you're going up to Caesarea? Yeah, we're coming too. They arrived. The Jews had come down from Jerusalem, stood around and bringing many and serious charges against them that they could not prove. Remember, This man is a plague, we learned last week, they said. They said it's a political agenda. He is part of the Nazarene sect, the dagger men, that kill Romans. This is a political charge. They brought religious charges. He is sacrilegious. He has brought Gentiles into the temple. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees are divided amongst them, and they're bringing these charges. And Paul argued in his defense. He said, neither against the law of the Jews, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar, have I committed any offense? But Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, said to Paul, keep in mind, who's on trial here? Festus is in the judgment seat. Festus goes to the prisoner and says, do you wish to go to Jerusalem and be there and go there and be tried and charged there? Like really, we're asking the prisoners what they want to do? You got to realize by this time period." Paul is almost this notorious prisoner. He would probably be more famous in the land than Festus. And Festus is going, Do you wish to go back to Jerusalem? Now, Paul is brilliant. And Paul knows if he goes back to Jerusalem, he's playing on their turf. Those are the scenes of the charges against him. And he basically comes at them, at Festus, and says, I am standing before Caesar's tribunal. This is a Roman tribunal, Festus, that you're sitting on. That's where I'm supposed to be tried as a Roman citizen. And Festus, if he knows the Roman law, would go, that is true, that is true, we really can't take him back to Jerusalem. Like, this prisoner is almost in charge of this whole proceeding. I'm supposed to be standing here, Festus, I'm telling you, I have done nothing wrong. So I'm supposed to be in front of Caesar's tribunal. I ought to be tried. To the Jews, I have done no wrong, as you yourself know very well. Let's be honest, Festus. You know that they're not being fair to me. This is where I should be on trial. There's no reason for me to go back to Jerusalem, especially if there's a plot to kill him. If then I am a wrongdoer and I have committed anything for which I deserve to die, Paul says, I do not not appeal to escape death. But if there is nothing to their charges against me, no one can give me up to them. I appeal to Caesar. What? I appeal to Caesar. Caesar had just been replaced during that time. Let's give you a little, let's give you a little historical background. Caesar had just been replaced. His, the new Caesar's name was Nero. Ever hear of him? Yeah, nice guy, nice guy. Ask Peter. N- Nero hadn't cl- turned fully against the Jews at this point. So Paul says, I want to stand before Caesar. Is this strategic, Paul? Because God has told Paul, you will go to Rome. Here he is in Caesarea, comes out of prison, stands before Festus and says, I appeal to Caesar. Paul, really? That would mean he'd have to get on a boat and sail across some of the most dangerous waters of the Mediterranean, where where there are shipwrecks constantly. And he'd have to sail to Rome. And Paul says, I've been called to go to Rome. I'm going to Rome. God's going to answer his promise to get me to Rome. And he says, I appeal to Caesar. And when Cephasis thought about this and sought counsel, keep in mind, this is probably your first example in scripture of passing the buck. Have you ever heard of that term? And he says this, to Caesar you have appealed, to Caesar you shall go. I got out my notes. A voyager needs to be ready to be tested, but a voyager also needs to be willing to endure. What? He's going to move again. He's going to stand before another trial again. He's going to be accused again. Is there anything in your life right now where if we're going to be talking about patience and waiting, it's you have to do it again. And then you have to do it again and again and again. See, see. Don't sleep on the word endure. Do you know what the word means? Endure is is different than just fighting through a struggle. It, it means to suffer something painful or difficult. Ready? Patiently. The idea is restraining yourself. The idea is to endure something that is very difficult for you. Anybody in this situation right now? Very difficult. But to do so patiently. To refrain from what your impulse says to do. To endure something difficult, like that person in front of you driving, <laughs> to endure something difficult, like I am about to post my feelings. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know what, God? I've been waiting, and so my impulse says, I'm just going to do it. I've had enough waiting. To endure something patiently. Oh, The Lord has kind of brought in stories in my life of brothers and sisters, even within our church, that are having trouble finding out, oh, it's so bad, what's wrong with them? There's a hell struggle going on, and they're just in one waiting room after another waiting room after another waiting room after another waiting room, in front of another doctor after another doctor, and it gets to the point where they're like, okay, so tell me your symptoms. It's like their seventh doctor. Okay, here's my symptoms. I'm only telling you because my wife made me come. I'm going to tell you, you're not going to know what to do. I'll take seven other medications, and I'll be right back and see. They're just defeated. They're just so defeated. Have you ever been in a spot in your life like that? where you say, Lord, I'm exhausted of waiting. It's those moments where I find that the Lord calls us to get to a point where we just go, I surrender. I surrender. I don't know. I can't do this in my own strength. I've tried to everything. I surrender. It's not I quit. See, see, altar faith doesn't quit. Altar faith surrenders. There was a girl, little girl, 13, 14. She needed a blood transfusion terribly. She was growing paler by the day. The doctors were saying this this little girl needs a transfusion desperately. And they were trying to find a blood type that would match her blood type. And it was just very difficult until they found out her little brother, oh, seven, eight or years old, her little brother had the exact same blood type. And they thought, oh, if we can get a transfusion from her little brother, we're going to be able to save this little girl. And so the doctor, with dad by his side, came up to the little and said, Hey, bud, we're going to need you to be brave. He looked down. He said, We're going to ask you to, to, to share your blood with your sister, who's very sick. Cause She's very sick, isn't she? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we're going to ask you to share your blood with her. And, and we believe that she'll be made well by doing that. His dad rubs him on the shoulder. You got this, bud. You can do this. Okay, I'll do it. His lips shaking. Well, the time comes for the transfusion. They get him in his wheelchair to pull him in. The, they pull him in. They're getting ready to take the blood from him. The boy is very disturbed. Dad's going, it's okay, bud. It's okay. You got this. You're being a good brother, buddy. Gets up there. They start taking the blood from him. Doctors taking it out, taking it out. There we go. Good job, bud. Great job. And the little boy said something, said something that, that just shakes your core. He said to the doctor, How long till I die now? That little boy shared his blood with his sister, thinking, That's it. Now I raised my hand and said, Doctor, do a better job of explaining to the boy. <laughs> Come on, Lou, hey, bud, you're going to be fine he was thrilled to hear he was going to live and his sister, and she did. See, sometimes voyagers have to be willing to endure even sacrificing up themselves. But something interesting happens, and Luke wants to point it out. Paul says, I appeal to Caesar. And Festus is like, all right, I'm going to send him to Caesar. But then two people, two huge, famous people of that time period that you can read not just in scripture, but in exterior books about historians of this time period. You're not reading a book of fiction. You're reading a book of truth. And there were two figures that Josephus, the historian, even wrote about. And they were Agrippa I and his bride Bernice. They come into town and they visit with Festus. And Luke records it Now, when some days had passed, Agrippa the king and Bernice arrived at Caesarea and greeted Festus. And as they stayed there many days, Festus laid Paul's case before the king. Have you ever had a sounding board where you're like, hey, what do you think about this? Well, Festus says to Agrippa, hey, what do you think about this? Now, know something about Agrippa. Agrippa here is a king. His father was Herod Agrippa I. He is the great-grandson of Herod, who wanted all the baby boys killed to try to kill Jesus. That's who we're talking about here. So he knows a lot about Jewish heritage. His wife next to him is also, stay with me, young people. I'm sorry for this, but the Bible's graphic sometimes. Herod Agrippa I's daughter. She was in a marriage with her uncle and now is in a marriage with her brother. And she will leave her brother to go to another marriage because she is willing to sleep with anyone to have power, okay? Bernice is a piece of work. She's highly intellectual, extremely powerful, and uses things just like we saw with a previous female from last chapter for her thing. So, so, so Bernice and Agrippa have a very open and public incest situation going on here that they are not offended by. So let's just say this. Festus is asking someone's opinion on how to handle Paul with, can I say, not a biblical worldview. I mean, what kind of advice are they going to have? He says, there's a man, okay? There's this guy. He's left prisoner by Felix. And when I was in Jerusalem, the chief priests and the elders of the Jews laid out their case against him, asking for a sentence of condemnation against him. I answered them, that it was not the custom of the Romans to give up anyone before the accused met the accusers face to face. And they don't want to show up, just the leaders. And I had an opportunity to make his defense concerning the charge laid against him. And, And look what he says to Festus. So when they came together here, I made no delay. They're in Caesarea. But on the next day, I took my seat on the tribunal and ordered the man to be brought. And when the accuser stood up, they brought no charge in his case of such evils as I supposed. Rather, they had certain points of dispute with him about their own religion and about a certain Jesus who was dead, but Paul is asserting to be alive. So being at a loss of how to investigate these questions, I asked whether he wanted to go to Jerusalem and be tried there regarding them. But when Paul had appealed to be kept in custody for the decision of the emperor... I ordered him to be held until I could send him to Caesar. I mean, I can send this guy to Rome, but I don't really see anything wrong with him. And Agrippa's listening. Agrippa knows the history of the Jews, and he says, I would like myself to hear the man. Tomorrow, Festus said, you'll hear him tomorrow. King Agrippa is so curious about Paul, he says, let me hear him. Before you send him off to Emperor Caesar, let me hear him. Now, any of you who've been in our series know that God is a God that keeps his promises. And in Acts chapter 9, during the Pioneer series, remember, the Lord said to Ananias when he questioned whether God should be using Saul, he said, go, go. This is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. This is a fulfillment of a promise. God said, I'm going to use Paul to stand before kings. And so Paul is going to stand before Agrippa. And so scripture says, well, you're going to have to find out next week. It's part of the series, folks. Just stay with me. I got bad news for you. Acts ends the same way, okay? But, but we're going to see how he handles Agrippa and stands before King and Bernice next week. So let's apply. Let's apply our text today. Will Paul be able? He's ready, willing, but is he able to have altar faith? Settle in with me as we apply this text over our last 15 minutes as we look at what kind of faith it takes to navigate endurance. Anybody struggling with patience today? Anybody just want to wring someone's neck? Anybody just so tired and defeated? And you need altar faith, the faith that surrenders and waits on God? Well, what's altar faith like? The altar faith says God will provide keep going. See, whenever we make decisions, whenever we're about to take a leap of faith, it's always going to be a question of, am I going to operate in fear or am I going to operate in faith? Fear questions God's timing. Faith waits on God's timing. Fear gives up early right sometimes before a breakthrough. Faith will rise up early and trust. God's going to provide. Anybody wonder what Abraham was thinking as he walked up the mountain with Isaac? Anybody wonder? Hebrews tells us. Hebrews said, Abraham went forward, raised that knife, believing if he were to kill Isaac, God would raise him up again. He was so trusting of God's promise that God is going to build this huge nation through Isaac that even if you're asking me to take his life and make him a sacrifice, you're going to rise him up again. Faith walked up that mountain. It rose up early. It didn't delay. It believed God would deliver. Fear says, God's going to withhold something from me. He's going to withhold something from me. Faith says, God will provide. Endure. Fear, fear leads to controlling behavior. Parents, most of our controlling behavior comes from fear. Get in here, get in here, lock the doors, close the windows, pull down the shades. Now we're safe. God's up in heaven going, Man, I had their days numbered before they were born, but since moms closed them in, I mean, nothing's gonna happen to them now. I mean, think how we think. We really think we're in control. How many parents here got adult children? You in control of your kids? Ask an adult parent. Okay? We're not in control. We think we're in control of things. We think if if I hide, if I stay safe, if I hide in the mountains like Saul did, you're never gonna see mighty things like Jonathan did. Faith leads to controlling. I mean, fear leads to controlling. Faith leads to offering things up. They're not mine not my wealth, not my children, not my time. It's not mine. You ever preach something and think, man, you need to hear that? I needed to hear that. It's not mine. They're his. And he wants me to offer them to him as living sacrifices. Fear sees a test as punishing. I want to be tested by God. It's mean. It's going to be scary. I'm not going to make it. It's going to fail. Faith, knows the test comes from a professor who loves you dearly and is about to entrust you with even more and so the test feels different even though make no mistake it's hard we've talked about the reasons the purposes behind trials well there's also purposes behind testing Testing gets us ready to be entrusted. It resets our dependence on God. When we're going through a tough time, we're praying harder. It reveals what we're pride in, what we're holding on. It reorganizes our priorities. It renews our prayer life. It retunes our heart and softens us. It renovates us for future usage, and it refines our faith. But it's so hard to be tested in the area of waiting because we struggle with patience and humility. The word humility is like married to the word patience because it means you have to surrender something you're trying to control. And aren't you tired? Are you exhausted? Is it time to say, God, here. And if you're here today and you go, I did, I've done that. But like a year, like two years, three, four, Abraham waited 25 years, so voyagers have to be ready. You know, patience is difficult. Scripture itself says we are each day to put on some things in Scripture. How many of you wait like that girl does? Okay. Scripture says put on patience, put on compassion, hearts, kindness, humility, patience, but, but I see some layers to patience. Do you like to layer any, any design people out here? Do you like to layer your clothes? There's some layers to patience. And so here's what we're going to do for application as we walk out of here today. We're going to see which area of patience we might be getting tested in right now. And when you get to yours, go, oh, there it is. Okay, if it's all seven, set up a meeting layer with Pastor Doug. <laughs> but, See where it is. Here we go. I'm going to give you some verses to fight back. How about trial patience? Going through a difficult time. Trials are nothing we've done. It's not a consequence. It's a trial. It's nothing we've done. We're just going through a difficult time. Scripture says rejoice during that time in the hope that God will provide. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. I want to encourage you. Anybody going through trial testing, okay? God's producing patience within you. Keep praying. Keep praying constantly. Rejoice that this is, you're going to get through this with him. Here's the second one, waiting patience. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul that seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the Lord. Time out. Can I read that again? It is good to wait how? Quietly. How many of you are not waiting quietly? Husbands, could I ask your wife if you're waiting quietly? Wives, could I ask your husbands if you're waiting quietly? Teenager, could I ask your parents if you're waiting quietly? I hate this. This is stupid. I mean, why do we have to do this? And this is what we do. This is what we do. We kind of spew. We complain. We whine. We pout. We go through these tests in life, and and we don't have patience, and we're frustrated. Can you believe this idiot in front of me? And what we're doing, what we're doing, even parents, we're even coaching during those time periods on how to handle things. College student, you're showing your testimony to other people when you're going through times when you're not waiting quietly. And man, do I need this! This has been convicting me. Hey, Chris, in in, in all love, shut your mouth. But you know what? This has got. To, I mean, I'm ready. God, I'm willing to do hard things. I'm willing to jump. How come we can't? Well, because there's a little situation going on in America, or because there's this going on, or because you're not ready, or this is it. You're ready. You're willing, but you may. Wait quietly. How many of you, how many of us have turned our homes into a den of complaining and bitterness and resentment? Why is it that people that we love the most get the worst of us and the people that we don't love as much get the best of us? Hey, how you doing? That's great. <laughs> Can you believe this garbage? I can't believe. Let's not let the devil win. Let's wait quietly on God to provide Struggle patience. Better is the end of a thing than the beginning. And a patient spirit is better than the proud. How many of you are going on a project? You're working on a project and it's taking far longer than you want to. Is God just kind of growing your patience to handle projects that take a long time? Hey, sometimes projects take a long time. But it's better for us to be patient through this than to be proud and force our way through a project and do something we're wrong. People Patience. We'll hurry through this one because nobody's struggling with that this year, right? With humility and gentleness, with patience, bear with one another in love. Who's God asking you to show some patience with? Attitude patience. Whoever is patient has great understanding, but one who is quick-tempered displays folly. Attitude. God my attitude is stunk. Even though I know you're going to provide, my attitude is stunk. Steadfast patience. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives its early and late rains? You also be patient. You know there's a process to this. I know, God, but I want to skip a couple processes. Look at the farmer. Be steadfast. And then finally promise patience. But if we hope for what we do not see... We wait for it with patience. And when we walk in patience, and when we're tested in patience, we can even count it joy. James tells us, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of all sorts of kinds. For you know, what do we know? What what do voyagers know? You know something, that the testing of your faith produces patience. And let patience have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. See, God gives us a puzzle called our life, right? He doesn't necessarily let us see the picture on the front. And so we're putting the puzzle together, not seeing the full picture. But God is faithful. Where you would quit and get up and leave the puzzle, he keeps putting it together including the people you've given up on. He keeps, put, thank you God for continuing the puzzle that Chris quits, including on himself. Thank you for keep putting it together. But if I'm a voyager, I know that in the times when I'm tested in my patience, I will usually find the hand of God work the most when I take the thing I'm holding on to And I put it on the altar. And Paul told me in Romans, he said, Chris, climb up on the altar. But you're not going to be killed. He wants to use you as a living sacrifice. Is there anything that God's been talking to you this morning saying, hey, give it to me? Give it to me? If you're out there today and you've been enduring... As a pastor here, speaking for all the pastors, we've been praying for you this year. We know it's been a tough year on so many people. So many people. I had the chance to say hello to a 91-year-old saint who does not miss a message on Sunday mornings. I haven't seen her in over a year. Faithfully enduring despite difficulty. And if you're watching Ellen Rauscher, I see you this morning. Thank you for those of you who endure those difficult things in life. You're a testimony to all of us. And we can see by the way you handle it how God is being faithful to you. What do you need to go through this week where you say, Lord, I know you're going to provide? Help me to endure. Help me to be patient. Help me be quiet. Help me to speak faith as I go through it. Father, use this message to inspire someone today to keep walking. It's going to be a climb up a hill. It's probably going to mean some sacrifice. There will be tests along the way. There will be times where they just simply have to endure. Their energy will be challenged discouragement might be all around them but I pray that you just whisper into their ear today I'm gonna provide and if it's not during this time on earth we know death has no sting for you and you will provide for all of glory help your children to walk in altar faith willing to sacrifice anything that you ask us to, and willing to wait quietly, patiently for you to provide. Thank you, Lord, for providing even when we quit. Amen.